What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another podcast. And uh, I'm here with Elliot. How you doing tonight? Everything's going great, man. I am ready to get on this podcast and start talking about it. I am re-energized and ready to put out some content, man. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, before we jump in the podcast, though, let's give a big thanks out to our partners. Um, so first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to our uh, friends out at Boss Shot Show. So me and Elliot have both been rocking these this year. How do you feel about them, Elliot? Let's switch it up a little bit. I love tonight. them. I love them. Um, you know, it's American-made product, high density, high quality. Um, the thing I love about it, I've always wanted to use a smaller shot size. I've always preferred it. And and with a bismuth load, you're able to do that. So you're shooting fives at mallards. We were shooting six or sevens for teal, four for geese. And I, you know, I'm a skeptic on everything until until it's proven to me. And this year, I, I feel like it's proven to me. You know, I'm just hitting birds and killing them clean. I've only lost one bird the whole season and i'm i'm sold so you guys if you haven't tried out boss shot shells go and can get it done give it a shot awesome also I'd like to give a big thanks out to htr so i've actually uh, have quite a bit of experience with htr products um having firsthand experience working with them so um you know I, i'll say it and i've said it in, in podcasts before but uh, my favorite product for them or from them is the um the HCR gun stand or marsh stand is what we've uh, had to start calling it because of um, the socialist practices of certain social media networks that won't allow you to use the word gun, which is a shame. But uh, anyways, marsh stand, um, it's awesome. Use it in the rivers, ponds, marshes, anywhere in between. Um, Great for putting your gun on there, putting the blind bag on there, I put my ammo on there, I hang my game strap across it, keeps everything out of the water. Um, which is just perfect, you know, when we're hunting water for ducks and all that kind of stuff. So can't say enough good stuff uh, about that one. If you guys have listened to Duck Gun Podcast at all, you've heard about Gunner Kennels. They have been a partner with us for a long time now, and you know they're made in America. They're five-star crash test. All of those stats you guys know about. Now, here's the bottom line about Gunner Kennels. If you want to keep your dog safe, this is like buying a tank for your dog. I mean, I, I've got one, and I promise you that this kennel will outlive me. I mean, these things are well-made. I mean, they're not not—they're not the same prices as something you're going to get down at Walmart. But if you get into a crash and you have your dog kennel strapped in and you want to make sure throughout your lifetime you don't lose a dog in that way, this is the kennel that you want. And a little, little bit of advice, if you have a regular-sized lab, um, I've got the large side. I would advise the medium. It's probably the perfect size for your normal size. Um, retrieving dog product code duck gun that's d-u-c-k space g-u-n tip for 10 percent off and free shipping no i'm sorry wrong code duck gun d-u-c-k g-u-n no space 10 for 10 percent off that's duck gun no space 10 awesome um also want to give a big thanks out to motion ducks dequist burner and they're our most recent um, partner to the podcast and um you know it's definitely been great to use their setup. You put so much motion to the water. Um, I've, I've been rocking the ultimate decoy spreader, and they also have a smaller one that just has four ducks on it or four decoys on it. And I've been using the seven decoy system um, on all these no wind days we've been having, and it puts out so much motion. It's ridiculous. And it's just lifelike action. And if you haven't checked it out, um, Elliot and I both have it in our videos. You can see it, um, motion ducks has stuff on their social media as well. Um, and you know, if you're not a believer, just from hearing the words, Jeff, definitely it's something where when you see it, man, you're like, man, that's a lot of motion. It's lifelike. Um, and it's going to work to bring in the ducks. So definitely check those guys out. Um, Elliot, can you read the product code on that one as well? Sure. Product code is all caps duck gun, no space. 10% yep, off pre-shifting free anchor bag. Yep. Um, and lastly, last one is Banded, Avery, and GHG Greenhead Gear. All three of these companies are under the same umbrella, and we are so honored to have them as a partner. You know, I had always heard of Banded and Avery and GHG, uh, but when we became partners, I really got a, a chance to test out some of their items, wear their clothes. And I am absolutely addicted. I'm, I would say almost a daily basis, I'm looking through the catalog. It's like, I want this, I want that. I've, I'm just in love with it. So if, you, if you're looking for any kind of clothing, waders, 
decoys, anything you can think of. Banded.com will get you to all three places. Check out what they've got going on. Um, the the Red Zone 2.0 waiters. Just they change everything. They're so comfortable. I, I wear them in Walmart sometimes. If I get done with a the hunt, they're just so comfortable. So go on over and check those out. And lastly, we would like to give a big thanks out to you guys. Um, you know, I say this every week, but it doesn't get old to say. So you guys are the the backbone of our community, backbone of podcasts. Um, and we couldn't do it without your guys' support and you guys tuning in week in and week out. Um, but I am going to ask you for something today. So if you want to know how you can support me and Elliot and what we do, um, something that we both value highly is the content we produce on YouTube as well. Um, so make sure to jump out, jump over there and check out our YouTube's Duck Gun Chronicles Freelance Duck Hunting. Um, those are both separate. Duck Gun Chronicles for me and Freelance Duck Hunting for Elliot. We both put out a ton of waterfowl content all season long. And there's a good chance if you enjoy the, the content we put out for the podcast, you're really going to enjoy the videos. And they go so well hand in hand with uh, you know, the updates and what we talk about all the time. And you'll get to see firsthand a lot of the, <laughs> the stuff we discuss on the podcast. So um you know do us a favor and it'll really be doing you a favor too i know you guys are going to enjoy it so um be sure to check that out as well but um that being said i think right now is a perfect time to go ahead and jump over to the podcast hey guys i'm jordan fromer i believe in hunting hard hunting smart and having a fun time while doing it and shooting limits well that's just the icing on the cake i revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings from ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Here with Elliot, as usual. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad we're getting back on our roll with this thing every week. Every week. I'm excited. Definitely excited as well to get back on the roll and <laughs> um, be doing the podcast. Our guest for tonight is Hunter, and uh, you guys have probably seen him from from my uh, YouTube videos and from the HTR videos as well. So, how you doing tonight, Hunter? I'm doing swell. Thanks for having me. It is a truly a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for those of you that don't know, Hunter and me have actually actually go way back, and we've been hunting for a long time together now and um even before that uh hanging out a lot so uh, and I, I don't know how many times you've been on the podcast but i think you're what a, th a third time guest now yeah i think three three uh how many times have you been on where elliot's been on i think just once because i think i yeah I think I filled in. Did I fill in when you were sick or something? Or uh, I think that's what I know. Yeah, I think you filled in once, and and we were on together once. Yep, it's been a good one. But uh, podcast topic tonight is actually going to be um, goose hunting, and so kind of to give a little uh, prefix on that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say any of us are primarily goose hunters. Uh, no, Elliot for sure kills a ton more ducks than he does geese. So I wouldn't say that. Um, I mean. And by your own admission, you'd probably say you're not like an expert goose hunter. No, I I, I'm not at all. <laughs> novice. I'd call myself a, a novice for sure. And I can kind of put myself in, in a similar situation. Um, you know, it's something that I've really, really been enjoying over the last um, few years, kind of diving more into goose hunting as, as we go. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something I want to learn a lot more from as well. So, um you know, this is a topic we're going to dive into, and Hunter, you got some good experience goose hunting, and but by your admission as well, you're probably not an expert goose hunter. Um, so what we want to do is kind of go through the basics of goose hunting, um, kind of like your white belt 101, getting into goose hunting, and that's kind of how we're going to take on this topic and, and share kind of our uh, uh, our experiences and kind of go from there. Yeah, I would say I personally... Um, we shoot geese on a pond, Corn's Pond we've got. It's a private pond. We do okay with geese there. And when it gets really cold out and everything freezes except for the river, we've we've done really well on the river as well. So I've got I've got some experience in both of those areas. But as far as field hunting, um, I don't hardly have any Canada goose field hunting experience at all. <laughs> 
but I, I we do get after them on the river and pond. So, so kind of before we dive into it, why, I guess why don't you uh, kind of go after field hunts any more than you do? Well, um, several reasons. Number one, I absolutely love water and being around water, and I just. I'm thrilled with being on marshes and and ducks anytime that I can. As far as that, we would like to transition into field hunting, but um, you know, you just have to find them, and it just takes a lot more scouting, um, in my way of thinking, than hunting public marshes does. And and we just don't have, and it's a lot of money to have a, a goose spread. Now we've got we've got um, white rock silhouettes and socks, so we've got you know what we need that we could do it, but. Um, and if we had fields, we probably would do it. We just don't, we just don't have the time and to get out and find the birds in the fields and contact the farmers. It's just, you know, um, my dad's going to try to get into that a little bit more since he's, I, I moved recently and he's, um, they sold their house and they're, they're living half the year in my backyard in their um, RV. And so our idea is that he's going to start driving I'm gonna try ponds with geese and some fields because he's retired. But myself, I just can't get out and locate them and find them. I, I don't have the time. I go to when I'm going to work, sun's coming up. When I'm coming home, sun's going down. And it just takes time and effort that I don't have. Yeah, no, I definitely hear you on that. Um, Hunter, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, goose hunting experience and kind of what styles uh, of hunting you go after for? Uh, I think, so we, our area has always been heavily populated with primarily geese more so than ducks. So that's where we get into it a lot more. And like you said before, I, I'm not an expert at all, but I think I've been on a lot more goose hunts than I have duck hunts in my waterfowling career. And so when we first started, a lot of our spots were fields and we would always try to lay out hunt for them and we'd have a lot more frustration days than we did success um it seemed like we could always scout them and find out what fields they were using but then actually having the right setup and the right concealment and making it all work in the end it never really paid off um but there was a ton of learning experiences so um, we do a lot of field hunting still, but we've gotten more, see, we, we hunt a lot of private and we've gotten some more spots with ponds and marshes and stuff. And so we do, I think more, um, hunting over water now than what we do on fields. Um, or if we do hunt in fields, we'll hunt, we got some spots with ditches. Um, so we're still kind of hunting over water a lot of time. So we've kind of over the last few years done a lot more water hunting and, I think um, it's it's our success has gone up. Um, it seems like we've had a lot better hunts over water than fields, um, and so it, we've kind of changed over the last few years on our hunting spots. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot more ducks that way too. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but kind of touch on that. So we we actually have uh, a ton of geese in the air right now with the weather. Um, and actually went out scouting we actually went out scouting this afternoon um found a bunch of birds and then as well we actually went out or i went out this evening um before we got on here to record and went out scouting the birds and um i haven't actually shared any of this information with you yet hunter but um you know as you knew our spot we're looking at this afternoon was just loaded with geese thousand thousand plus but uh (laughs) as i was driving to the spot um (laughs) And we're, we're kind of checking to see if they're roosting there, but they all kind of um, picked up and um, they're flying out to the field. So um, that's kind of what I got when I was looking to see if they're going back to roost. Um, so they're loading in actually two different fields and just tons and tons of geese. And so <laughs> um, I actually found the farmer, but somebody else already has permission. Oh, of course. <laughs> So, and both fields, both fields. So one field probably had, um, at the time I checked, 150 to 200 geese. And then um, the other field actually uh, 
had probably closer to 400 plus geese and they're just piling in there and they're i literally can see the field while i'm talking to the farmer like ah um another farmer that i know hunts i'm like you can't hunt both fields at the same time (laughs) (laughs) so he was he was nice about it but he told me no so pretty big disappointment um so hard to find permission and I don't, I don't know how many times you got to ask one for every hundred to get permission and it's never on one of the fields that's just absolutely loaded or, or a, a pond or a marsh that's absolutely loaded. So, um, but yeah, let's go ahead. And I think, uh, I guess I'll share a little bit of my goose hunting experience before we jump into it. So honestly, um, a lot of my goose hunting is with the HCR crew, Hunter and his dad, um, the rest of the guys we hunt with, but um, like you said, early season, we get on some good farm ponds um, and we really well. Uh, the birds get really used to using it. Um, once we've scouted out and figured out w- what they're doing, we go there and we usually can smack out some limits pretty easily. <laughs> so we kind of get spoiled in that in early season with geese. I really think that's, I mean, it's super easy. It feels super easy. It's probably not, but the success we've been having recently makes it feel super easy. Uh, but beyond that, our towards the later part of the season gets more and more towards the river, which honestly I have a ton of fun um, with that in the late season. But it's still kind of like a, a nut I haven't cracked. It's there's still a lot to learn about it. And you know, Hunter and me, um, we <laughs> put the pedal to the metal and hunted a ton <laughs> in the very late end of the season with little success. So there's still a lot to learn on the river. Um, so many birds in there you would think we would uh would have better success but um that's kind of just i guess my basics of the goose hunting early season parm fonds uh, we do get on some fields just not that often and then late season we switch to the rivers and that's something that i really want to learn how to be a lot more successful on and those yeah, rivers are do you guys have sandbars or or what where do they sit in the rivers they're just on the water or shallow or Usually by the time they get in there, or I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you take a hunter. Yeah. Usually when it's, when they get in there, there's a lot of ice shelves. So they're loafing and, um, I mean, just all over the place, but they'll anywhere they can get on a, an ice shelf. That's where they're going to be. So okay. a lot of times, uh, and sandbars too, cause we have a couple different rivers, but most of the time it's anywhere they have ice. That's where they want to be. How do you guys hunt them when they're on ice bars like that? Well, <laughs> that is that the nut you haven't cracked yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's part of it because our rivers are deep, um, and a lot of times, uh, like one of the places that we hunt, the the access gets uh, froze, so it's in a slow part of the river. The access, the boat access, gets froze, so you got to either have private permission to get on the river somehow. And by that time you're trying to <laughs> figure yeah. out how to retrieve birds and everything. So, yeah, we got some good, uh, I guess <laughs> ideas of how we're going to do it this year, you know, breaking the ice, pulling in canoes and that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that you know, we, we lay out, on, we lay out on the ice a lot. Um, on the Kansas River here, that most of the success we have on the rivers is laying out on the ice. Yeah, our only problem with that is we can't get into the water from the edge of the ice. So we could lay out on the edge of it, but then we still got to break it open and, and pull a, a canoe out or something. Because to... Elliot, you're is it o- over your head? It's over your waders for sure. Okay, and that's what I was going to ask you because you're hunting pretty shallow. And those parts of the rivers aren't there like they're yeah waist deep or less yeah mm-hmm. that, that river generally is really shallow so uh, it still makes me nervous doing it just because you think it's shallow but you're over ice and you know but yeah generally speaking we can hop off the ice shelf um into the ice hole in fact if we couldn't we probably wouldn't even do it but you know one thing you could do is you know you get um like a white layout blind cover um that they well that they've got ground layout blind covers that are white you could probably pull one of those over that small um old town canoe 
and have that out there either be in it or have that out there with you so you could jump into the, you know slide that into the water yep. if you needed to yeah the other part is the, the water gets pretty swift there so um yeah we'll definitely be after it again this year so it needs to get a little colder for all that to happen but um yeah so i guess and that ice is scary yeah yeah let's go ahead and, and talk about um kind of just um what it takes to get into to goose hunting and you know the steps to be successful so first you know um let's talk about uh that and so with goose hunting it does seem like it's one of those things where it, it is pretty good to have a big spread so i kind of the first thing i would suggest on that is um if you can increase your spread size um on a budget you're going to be able to do it with shells silhouettes and wind socks um you know if you got some full bodies that's great but they get pretty pricey pretty fast and if you know you're trying to put your set together you know pretty quick and you don't have a lot of money um that's a good option i know hunter you got some thoughts on on uh mixing different types of decoys so why don't you dive into that yeah so we we hunt over mostly full bodies um over the years we've collected a lot of full bodies so uh really Ever since you hunted with us, you kind of got us into the wind socks and the silhouettes, and I know that's really what um, you would probably be fine with for the most part. Um, but I, I, when we first got into it, um, I would hunt with a guy, a buddy of mine in college, and he was he was a freak about it, and he always he was a firm believer of never mixing um, silhouettes with full bodies. He just he was a firm believer on that, and he he thought that the geese could pick out the difference, being that the full bodies are are pretty realistic, and then you put it side by side on a silhouette, and it would it would flare birds, and that was always his thought, and I just kind of embraced it, and so I I like a lot of times we'll we'll run full bot either just full bodies or we'll mix in the socks, especially if they're they give really good motion. I love the socks. Um, but I, me personally, I just don't like to mix the silhouettes with it. Um, but I know you, you think differently on that. And that's probably, I don't have any hard evidence of it. That's just kind of what I was told from the beginning and kind of just stuck with it. So maybe I'm just stubborn or something, but Elliot might say something like this is uh, an emotionally driven <laughs> decision. <laughs> well, but he, he, he qualified it with, I don't have any data to back it up. So he's aware that it's, he's saying all the right things. Cause yeah. I talk a lot about how our pre we get a notion that we just die on and we don't really have any reason for it. Just how it feels. Yeah. Well, here's the problem with that. That's the first time he said he's, he doesn't have any hard driven <laughs> data. So all the times we've talked about it. <laughs> And see, Jordan always wants to put it to the test when we hunt. He's like, let, let me throw them out. But I always say, well, if they flare, it doesn't finish, then we know who we're going to blame. So he doesn't want to yeah. take the blame. <laughs> so we usually end up uh, scrapping them or uh, keeping them in the block. My, or the <laughs> my thought is if you can mix wind socks and silhouettes, which I've done that, and the wind socks are close to shape as a full body, then why can't you mix a full body with silhouettes? Because I've done wind socks and silhouettes and been fine. Yeah, I and, and see, and I don't. I just think the 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 silo or the silo sock presents it fills up with air and it presents a full look as far as the body, but the silhouette is just flat. And I just to me, and maybe I I'm looking into it too much, but it just seems too much of a drastic change in my opinion. It's like that. And the other thing about it is the silhouettes don't provide any movement, whereas the socks do. Yeah, so it's just numbers. So, like, the thing is uh, we have enough decoys that we don't really need them, so I just never bring them um, <laughs> when I hunt with Hunter. But uh, I have no you, problem mixing them. You bring the – you usually bring the socks, though. Yeah, yeah, I don't bring the silhouettes. Right, right. We leave those in the bag and <laughs> – yeah, so long-winded, but yeah, that's kind of the first kind of suggestion I got. You know, make your spread. You know, if you're uh, kind of nervous about it, I guess you can follow Hunter's 
<laughs> but I would say, you know, just get as many numbers as you can at a cheap price to start off with. And I would definitely be interested in hearing other people, you know, feedback on what they've, if they've had success mixing and matching and doing well with it consistently. I'd be interested to hear. Um, the next thing I got, Ellie, do you have a list at all? Nope. Run off this then. So uh, next thing I got is um, whenever you're having issues, it seems especially with geese, um, just adjust your set. If they're flaring off something, it's usually it's usually you. It's usually your set. It's something. So you know, mess around with your cover, mess around with your decoys. But um, for me, I'm not just going to sit there and let the same thing happen over and over. I'm going to adjust and adjust. Even if I adjust ten times and it never work in, I'd rather adjust ten times then just sit there and watch them flare 10 times. Well, it fights boredom too. Every time you make an adjustment, you're like, okay, maybe this will work. It's like a little renewed piece of hope. <laughs> yeah. So you're the same way, Elliot? The first, With, first side of uh, them not yeah. finishing or switching, you're going to move? Mm-hmm. I love that too. Well, I, with with ducks for sure. I mean, I, I don't know enough about – I mean, I, I haven't – hunted geese enough like that to really make a lot of adjustments for geese but in general waterfowl hunting i'm all about making adjustments yeah and i've seen that when i've came out there and hunted with you in kansas and i think that i mean i think that's great to do that because i i can count numerous times where i've seen hunting with you you make an adjustment and then we have success and like to me that feels when that happens that feels really fulfilling to like you know when you, and, and like you said, it's a small sample size, but it does feel like it's making a difference when you can kind of control where the ducks are going to land or, or the waterfowl, geese, whatever it is. So I, I'm a huge fan of adjusting. And, you know, I'll, I'll, if they do it twice, that's sometimes just once. But I'm a big fan of making the adjustment. I think adjustments sometimes yeah. can be so minor as in just somebody's head's popping out or somebody's looking up or – Something small like that can make a huge difference too. Yeah. Yeah. Concealment needs to be the first adjustment you make. Yeah. That needs to be the first thing that you look to. Going on the same line as what you're saying there, Elliot. um, I know a lot of times what you do for your concealment is you move further back. Yeah. And I've seen that work a lot when I've hunted with you, you know, just move further back. And so it could be, the final verdict could be like you move 10 yards back, which puts you 25 yards away from the decoys, but the birds finish in the decoys at 25 yards opposed to taking passing shots at 30 yards, but you're sitting right next to the decoys. So it's like a net positive. So, yeah. We, we've gone as far, especially hunting geese to hunt one guy shooter and one or two guys back 60, 70 yards and just take turns. I mean, it's better to, to take turns killing them with their feet down than to three guys shooting them at 55, 60 yards and winging them. We've done that quite a bit. Yeah. It's actually really fun. If you're having a good day, it's actually really fun to lay back there with another guy and just kind of goof around. And then, you know, the guy up front kills one and then another guy runs in and you switch out. It's it's a lot more fun. And especially if you're filming, then it makes it even that much easier because you're just, you know, filming. Yeah. we I had a quick story about uh, a few years back we were – um hunting snows down in missouri and we were hunting out of uh layout blinds with an outfitter and there was eight of us and the first groups in them it it frosted over in the morning so they would keep their set out there they'd keep the blinds out there and they would just every day they would switch fields but they'd keep all their set out there and we went out there in the morning getting ready before the dark or before light and uh so it was just enough that the blinds all froze and got um, shiny, but where you're walking around the blinds and getting ready, you get all muddy, so that takes the shine off. And the first few groups just wouldn't finish. And so finally we got out and we're like, what in the world is it? And we looked and we just stood back and looked and we realized that our blinds were shiny around all this muddy mess and they were picking us out. So we grabbed handfuls of mud Remudded in the blinds, and the next three groups just finished. It just something like that made mm. the huge, the biggest difference of stepping back and looking and realizing, wow, yeah, this we're oddballs here. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, kind of to follow along with that, the next thing I got is, um, you know, be super careful, overly careful with your cover and your movement. And we've kind of, you know, touched on that when we're mentioning um, some of the other topics, but, um, you know, I think especially with geese, and this is something that I've heard people say, and I'm not 100% sure, you know, sometimes I give them a little pushback on it, but um, (laughs) some people say geese are smarter than ducks. What do you think, Elliot? From my small experience, I'd say mallards are the hardest to fool out of. Well, probably pintails are probably the hardest, and mallards are second to to fool. Um, when when we, I mean, when we are out goose hunting and we're in the right position, we don't have a lot of problem getting them to finish. What do you think, Hunter? Um, I don't. I would disagree that I think a goose is smarter than a duck. But I, from my experience, I feel like with a duck, um, you can get away with being outside the blind, maybe retrieving, coming back in, being outside the blind when that duck first wants to come in. And maybe he picks back up and swings back around and will give you two more passes and will eventually finish. Versus I feel like if a lot of times when you get caught outside or up or moving around with a goose... They just keep on going. So I I feel like with our experiences, you can maybe get away with a little bit more air on a duck versus a goose. And that's just from what, I guess, personal experience. But I'd say some of it's situational too, though, because like if you get a river, an ice hole on the river um, that they've been using for a few, three or four days, then they they just become stupid, and I think that's somewhat true of some of the ponds that you guys do a lot of your um, really good goose shoots on. Is that they're it, it's a smaller body of water, and they're used to using that pond for multiple days, and they drop their defenses a little bit. Uh, mallards in an open marsh or in a system of marshes compared to ponds and ice holes is is. Ah man, they are so frustrated. I just feel like sometimes with those mallards, there's just nothing you can do to just to to get them to finish. It's, it's so frustrating. And maybe people have that same experience with geese in fields. And I just don't. I, I've never experienced that. Maybe. Yeah, it seems like what you're kind of um, describing seems like stale birds a little bit. You know, I, when you get birds working through an area and they've been shot at a lot, it does seem like have issues working them in um especially kind of in the marsh systems you're talking about but yeah farm pond ducks and geese either one it's like it's like you said with the pond or the ice hole i mean they're just coming in there regardless like you don't have to do Mm -hmm. anything you have to call all you have to do is just sit in the blind and sometimes you don't even have to sit that far back in it or be not moving they're just they're not checking they're just circling once and dumping in so i guess beyond that what we get with uh with the geese, I guess a couple examples of why what I've seen with geese, what I would say maybe makes me feel they're a little bit smarter. Um, if you bump geese off, they don't want to come back. Um, same thing if you're standing out of the blind, they don't seem to ever finish. And I've had ducks do that, but that's also probably on those farm ponds where they're <laughs> a little bit stupid. So I have no hard data for it as well. They got a bigger head, so maybe they got a bigger brain. <laughs> <laughs> but um, now that you've disagreed with me, Elliot, um, it kind of ruins my next point. So, well, <laughs> see, Elliot, you're a lot of times like in your situations, you're dealing with a lot more, a lot bigger number of birds too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as, as far as in your area and probably using other marshes, I mean, you're not the only spot where in town yeah whereas i feel like our experiences are a lot different since our population is a lot smaller and it's like they see a spread down there and you it's like oh they they all follow by example and it's not like they have all these other marshes of live birds around to to see as well and, and you're fighting with so i feel like our situations are a lot different just because our numbers are smaller and it's like oh there's ducks down there let's go Let's go hit it or the same with geese. They just follow. Yeah, that's probably true. So honestly, after all that, I'm not a, 
100% sure if I made my point or not, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it up to you guys what you think of geese or, or ducks are, are smarter or not. Um, <laughs> sample size too small at this point. <laughs> I'd say it's too small for me too with geese. You know, like I said, we're we're hunting ice holes and ponds is for geese, so that's a whole whole different thing than fields. Yep. Um so the next thing I would say is for your calling for geese, and it, I mean it's pretty much the same as duck duck hunting. When you first get in goose hunting, um just learn the basics, you know, just your cluck and moan. Um if you got other skilled goose hunters, like when I first started, Hunter is a a really good goose caller. Um and so for me, it's just, hey, just kind of fill in a little bit here and there and try not to make any noises that are going to scare the birds away. <laughs> so um, that's kind of if you're, you know, you're starting out, that's kind of what you need to do um, as they're finishing. Maybe just cluck a little bit and um, a little bit and you'll be good. So I, I'd say just learn the basics. And, you know, if you're going on solo hunts, that's when you can kind of give it a little bit more of a whirl. Um, if you screw it up, you're only screwing it up for yourself. Um <laughs> But for me, that's still where I'm at. I just got the basics down of goose calling. Um, something over the, the off-season I'd like to really improve on is to increase my goose calling game by a lot. But right now, I got the basics down pretty down pat. So, uh, you know, that's really all you need. I, sh- I don't know how to how to describe it. What do you think the, the importance of goose calling? Um, I, I, think it, I think a lot of people try to do more than what they should or more than what they're capable of and they end up hurting themselves i think me personally i think a simple is better approach but um that's just like i i remember in college i would practice all the time and i probably really ticked off a lot of the people next door because i was really loud and annoying but i i would just like go listen and try to mimic what i heard and tweak and i would do all kinds of stuff with my mouth that i thought was right and eventually i just kind of made it more simple and i think um simple can never being more simple can never hurt you in my opinion but um yeah just learning the basics and and with a also it's one of those things where um if you never do it i think like for me it was a hard it took me a while to feel comfortable enough to do it with other guys that i hunted and once i did um it got easier so i think at that same time to not be afraid to to help chip in with other people calling and that's how you learn too. And if somebody tells you that you're doing something wrong, well then maybe figure out what's what you're doing wrong or learn from it or try to get better. But and if you squeal, just point to the guy to your right. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess to kind of push you on this a little bit more, so learning like all the calling they learn for competition calling and all that, like obviously you don't need to go to that extent, but say there's no advantage to having that it, amount of who's calling um, skill. <laughs> um, are you trying to trap me in a corner here? <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder what your, what your thoughts are. No, I think, um, I think if you have like, I think if you have two or three, three or four guys, that are really good callers and know how to work together. I think it's really lethal, but, uh, I think a lot of times, like there's usually like one or one guy that's good. And then other people know how to turn over a goose call. And I mean, if you have a bunch of guys that are good, obviously I do think it is considerably better, but, um, I feel like there's a lot less good call goose callers out there than good duck callers but you definitely don't need to be a world champion to kill them that's i i do know that for sure Elliot, you concur yeah i mean typically i'm with aiden and he's a lot better goose caller than i am i'm you know i mean i've been out without him and i've been able to get to land geese and to get him to circle around and everything so um I, I definitely think that you need at least one guy making some kind of noise with a goose call because it with no goose call at all. doesn't, I don't think that works. Yep. All right. So, um, next one I got here and I'm going to let you, uh, take this one from the top hunter. Um, let's talk about motion, um, with goose hunting. Motion with 
goose hunting. Um, important. I know that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't like to have mojos running with geese. Um, I don't, th- I don't know if they like it. Like from my experience, I, I think that it tends to mess with them wanting to land there. Um, but as far as you, you definitely need some sort of motion as far as either a jerk rig or real, um, real quick, I'm going to stop you. So I want to call back to the, the geese are smarter thing. So geese flaring do mojo, bigger brain. <laughs> I think they're just picky. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, I'm just... I've I'm landed just, them in ISOs with spinners without any without yeah, any issue. Yeah. See, on your last hunt um, at that farm pond, I'm not going to say the name, <laughs> but uh, yep. you guys had the mojo running. Yep. Was it running the whole time on all the geese? It was, it ran, he turned them off, I believe, but then again it goes back to elliot's point is a farm pond and they've been using it and they really want it in there bad i mean mm. so that experience we usually always turn them off even though we don't we'd like to pull them but that was one of those we were thinking we were getting into ducks and we got into geese yeah yeah and we had a uh, hunt earlier on this year where they were working all the way in and i had the remote and i turned them off uh, but yeah i just kind of mm-hmm. want to hit on this before we keep moving but I've definitely heard people say that about the mojo. Don't have a mojo out when you goose hunt. But so far, I just I guess I need more of a sample, and I'm not willing to leave it out there <laughs> at this point. But it doesn't like I've had a lot of experience where they don't care, and I just don't want to fall into the trap. You just follow everybody because it's like uh, when people say you have to shoot like double B for geese or something like that, and then people just do oh double B three and a half inch shells. If you don't do that, you're crazy. And it's like the same thing with the mojo. And I've kind of mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's not how I feel about, you know, geese anymore. You don't have to shoot three and a half inch double B. So, um, but yeah, go ahead and take it away. On the yeah, no, again. I would definitely agree with you on that. I mean, I, I, again, I don't have any hard evidence on it. I just know if you have, it seems like if you have um, spinners out there, and they don't work. That first group doesn't work. You immediately point to the spinners. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's default is, yeah. Oh, we got to pull the spinners. And so, no, I agree. Maybe that was Fred Zink that told everybody that, and everybody <laughs> listened. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I definitely motion because if, but I think that not just geese. I mean, I think that is the same way for ducks too. Really, I mean, would oh. you not agree, Elliot? What would you say about pulling the mojo for ducks? <laughs> I, I have tried, I, I wish I had kept track. We've tried pulling the spinner for ducks upward of 25 times and only one time has it improved the situation. We we do it, we pull it, uh, but it never, we always end up putting it back out because I've never seen it benefit us to pull the spinner. But normally what happens is mallards are circling, they won't finish, we pull the spinner it gets worse. We put the spinner back out. It gets a little better again. That's typically how it happens, but that's kind of the, I mean, everyone is saying, everyone is saying these days, pull the spinner, spinners, no good spinners, flare ducks. It's just not my experience. I routinely have ducks hover right over the spinners. And I, I, I wish it was true. I wish I could not worry about using a spinner, but it just doesn't seem to be true for us. Is that all you run as far as motion? Um, we've got, I'm running a, we normally have a jerk rig as well of some so form. You're running them both then at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ducks decoy spreader. You ever tried those, uh, puddlers, those little splashers? Um, the last time we had out, we were using one of those Higdon ones that makes that big spray. Um, mm-hmm. we had that out and then the I, have, I have, yeah, uh, well, I've got a butt rippler that just makes the little ripples on the water. I don't really care for that one because I feel like it's such an unnatural looking motion. It's such a robotic, even distribution of water movement, but those um, pulsators that shoot the water out. I, we, I yeah. used those one of the last hunts um, and I had guys contacting me saying, that's what was flaring them. I don't know. Cause we weren't, we were struggling. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I whatever. I mean, <laughs> we start off with a spinner or two and if the wind's eight miles an hour above, we won't use a jerk rig. 
Um, if it's under that, then we always have some form of jerk rig or right. Like Jordan said, right now it's the decoy motion or the motion ducks. Um, of, so decoy we always spreader. have, yeah, decoy spreader. So yeah, I think I've derailed you a few times, but <laughs> so kind of continue on the, the motion there. Yeah. Um, kind of share a story. The first time I really had motion deployed, um, actually was four seasons ago with Hunter. Um, we set up on a permanent blind out in the river on a windless day. You were working, you were really working, uh, <laughs> the jerk rig. Yeah. The jerk rig on that day. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, actually two weekends in a row out there, we did the same thing, mm -hmm. same setup with the floaters. And those were the, the first two limits of, um, geese that I shot. And so we were definitely uh, rocking the jerk rig on mm -hmm. that. And I know you said after that, you're like, we wouldn't have finished those without the jerk rig. So that's kind of my first experience. And I would say that motion, just like ducks, you know, especially with geese being smarter, as Elliot has agreed, um, <laughs> then you got to have that motion. So, yeah. And I, and I think, uh, well, I look back to the, the hunt we had on that farm pond where we ran the double a frame with Lyle earlier in the year. And, uh, we didn't have any motion that day. There was no wind at all. And we didn't bring a, a jerk rig. And every bird that we had, had landed towards that far out, probably like, what, 10 yards outside the spread. Was that? Which which hunt was that when we shot the hybrid? Yep, the hybrid hunt. Yeah. Every, every bird, I mean, they wanted in there, but there was just absolutely no motion. And I think they could kind of sense it was unnatural, but they really wanted in there, but they didn't want to land in the set. So that was one that... I wish if we got back, we mm -hmm. could have ran um, some motion in there. I think it would have helped. But Yeah, and actually, uh, Lyle did have four of those yeah. mojo pucks. I can't remember what they're called. But uh, it's like Elliot said, I was not impressed, like even less than the Pulsator with those. And I don't know what brand they were. I'm not trying to diss on any brand. But yeah. they put like... They didn't put much out. It was barely anything. It was like, why, why do those even exist? I think Mojo, they, they weren't Mojos, but I think Mojo makes something similar. They, they basically look like a they, hockey puck. Oh, yeah, they weren't Mojo. Mojos make the ones with the little... Flickers. The flicker that spins on top. So these were just little circles that sit in the water, and he had four of them. And they just pulsate. And it, I mean, I don't know if they had, like, dead batteries or if that was how <laughs> they were supposed to be intended, but there was, like, no motion at all from them. It was just, yeah. like, barely a ripple. It didn't even make it to, like... Three or four decoys out. <laughs> I've heard good things about those flickers. Yeah, I have too. I've heard good things, but I've heard they, uh, well, they don't make it through the season, but, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of the gear. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anything you guys want to add at this point? No. All right, we'll just keep chugging right along. So kind of another thing um, that I think is a little bit different from ducks to geese, and I, I guess I'm kind of assuming that people that are getting into goose hunting have already been duck hunting, but um, a major difference, I would say, is geese are a lot harder to bring down. So a lot of the time it feels like, especially late in the season, they get a thick fat pad. And I've seen so many times where people have just shot a goose and they body shot it. They shoot it right in the body and you see feathers. I mean, I would say they dusted it. You know, you dusted that bird. There's just feathers that go everywhere. But that bird, I mean, it doesn't even flinch. It just keeps on going. So it's like, um, you know, you got to make sure you're shooting them in the head with the geese, especially later in the year. Um, the other thing is I would say you go up in shot size. Um, so... For me, I've always shot, you know, with just traditional still, I've shot like number twos. I've never gone any bigger than that. But with bismuth, you know, another thing, you're going to have a high density pattern and and uh, your shot's going to be a lot. Um, you know, I've been going with uh, the number fours on the bismuth and two and three quarter inch shells and literally just been smashing the yeast. So, um, you know, I, I would just say to make sure your shots are, you're taking them accordingly. And, and even with that, you know, um, I know Elliot, you've been talking a lot about shot selection, um, with me off, off podcast or off air. Um, and one thing you'd say, especially with these, these birds being tougher and harder to kill. And especially late in the season with thick fat, uh, the thick fat pad, um, you're going to want to finish them in close for your shots too. 
That's absolutely true. I know there was some study that was done out on the East Coast. And I don't know if my dad was a part of it or he knew some guys. He he was a, a biologist for a while and he was worked out around Baltimore. But they were capturing live geese and x-raying them. And it was I, – don't quote me on this statistic because I don't remember the exact number. But it was something like 80% of the birds had steel in them, the live ones or something. <laughs> I mean, it was just again. Don't quote me. The point is, it was a it was a majority of the geese that they were running X-rays on had had shot in them. Like, so certainly, that was that's lodged a in their fat pad. That was just somewhere in their body. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen uh, pictures of X-rays, and I've never seen the study or read the numbers as well. But yeah, that's definitely something to be aware of and be careful and. Um our best to be good stewards of uh waterfowl this that this that's even crazier that i heard um it every one out of every four shots that you shoot um wounds a bird of some puts shot into a bird one out of every four for me it's more like one out of every shot i hit a goose but <laughs> you're a and i don't mean killing i, I don't think that that meant like actually killing them that didn't count like <laughs> <laughs> okay okay just i think the way you said it sounded like you're only hitting one out of every four geese like no like you wound a bird one out of every the average hunter wounds a bird one out of every four shots that he doesn't kill yes mm -hmm. that's a weird statistic i mean yeah i could i should have these studies. i need to start citing some of these studies instead of just saying it but yeah. it was a, it was certainly a study that i it was someone quoting a study um, and giving those numbers, but I should I should be able to back them up. I could find it really easily. <laughs> so it's a crazy I number. Pretty much, I think that pretty much uh, covers my list on there. Um, but guys, just just take it for what it's worth. I know there's going to be a lot of guys um, that are listening to this that are better goose hunters than I am. So take it with a grain of salt. You know, take the meat and leave the bones. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, this was kind of meant to be kind of introduction. We're definitely, uh, you know, kind of when we talked about doing this episode, um, you know, like we're saying, yeah, let's let's get an expert on as well. So we're going to later on get somebody and I, I don't want to say any names yet because we don't have any commits, but um, we'll definitely look to get somebody who's a very skilled goose hunter and go from, you know, the white belt to the black belt version of this podcast topic. Yeah, so kind of change gears here a little bit. Um, a little background and most of you guys already know this or pretty much everybody should know this at this point but um you know i work with htr and so hunter one of the owners of htr so we'll, let's go ahead and uh, talk about what we got going on over there yeah so we got a um, we got a bunch going on right now it's been uh pretty crazy for november <laughs> and december but uh yeah, we got a um, bunch of Christmas sales going on right now, um, pretty much site-wide. So um, if any of you guys haven't been on, checked out our, our site and what we got. Um, we got a lot from, uh, we have an A-frame, um, some quack packs and a gun stand and, and some different uh, camo patterns of, of those. So um, we're running sales on, on everything right now, plus free shipping, so... Um, you need to go check those things out um, while we still have stuff in stock. So probably our our hottest seller from HDR is the gun stand. You guys have seen that in my videos, and I've talked about it quite a few, quite a few times. But um, you know, that that marsh stand is just awesome for hunting in the water. You stick it in the mud, uh, put your gun on it. I put my blind bag on it. I hang my game strap on it, and we're gonna have some cool accessories coming out for it as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's definitely uh, kind of my favorite <laughs> uh, thing to that I use that I utilize the most as far as, especially in early season, a lot of the marsh hunts I go on and um, this year going up to Michigan and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know Elliot always kind of talks about the layout, and I know last week he was uh, putting a little bug in my ear about the quack packs too, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the layout lounge. I, one of the things that layout boat hunting has always driven me nuts is my neck always like I have to find something to go under the back of my head because it's so uncomfortable to try to your neck gets all stiff. And with the layout lounge, 
That's what you guys call it, right? Layout lounge. Yep. Yep. You can actually adjust it. So like the first 30 minutes of a hunt, I'll be sitting all the way up or during teal season, I'm sitting all the way up. But then as the sun comes up and the mileage and you have to lay out down, you can just slide it down into your layout boat. And so it lays complete. So it's actually adjustable inside of a layout boat. And I, I'm in love with that thing. I will never, I never want to go without one in, in a layout boat. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Product. It, def it definitely adds a little bit of comfort. That's for sure. I'm, I'm yeah. the same way with, uh, you know, I've used them in layout blinds. Like I said, we don't do a lot of field hunting and with, um, the A-frames, we just do it even less now, but I never want to hunt in a layout without having one of those pads. Cause it just keeps you comfortable. I mean, it's just, it's not comfortable to lay on the ground without it. So, uh, but the kind of the thing we came up with this year is the, the quack pack and it's really based off of that layout pad and, uh, the layout lounge. And we have a lot of people kind of ask about it and not really understand the difference. And the difference is really, it's just the layout pad, but it's created in a way where it folds up. Um, it's got backpack straps. It's got, um, pockets for uh, accessories like you, you can put your gun on the side of it you can fill up the bag with all your decoys and you can hike out to a public land spot so it's really just morphed off of that layout lounge um and it's the same exact thing uh, but it's just better i guess it's got more more on it um you know more attached to it to kind of solve more of the problems you're going to have when you hunt so that's just the major difference I guess you want, you want to touch on the the A-frame hunter. Yeah, the A-frame um, that we came out with it's it's all aluminum and it's uh, built out of uh, one inch square tubing. So um, a lot of this, a lot of the the blinds out there they're um, just a really thin gauge. Um, I think aluminum or or I don't know some of it's a lot of it's plastic pit fittings as well. But um, we've just tr tried to make something that's a little bit sturdier uh, and stronger, but as far as, I mean, the blind and everything together is less than 40 pounds. It's, it's extremely lightweight um, and it's extremely sturdy um, and it, it's not going to break on you. Um, you can throw it around. You can, you can be rough on it, throw it in your truck and you're not have, having to worry about parts breaking or busting or, or losing everything. Um, it's, we've tried to make something that's lightweight, strong um and really easy to use and so um for any of you guys that haven't seen it um it's it's basically four main cross members and two ends and um it just slides into each other and you pin it together so it's um you assemble it and disassemble it in um a minute or two um and it's 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 really handy we ever since we came out with it and we and and started using them the last couple of years really every time we hunt in the field uh for the most part we we use those um yeah, not even in marshes in marshes yeah i mean the last couple hunts rivers we've used them in, in the middle of uh of ponds you know and stunk them out there for we've kept them out there we um we keep we'll, those last ones they've been out there since october so and the water's froze right now so we'll see how they hold up but um to, to this day, uh, we the only A-frame um, that we have been able to break uh, was one that was that Dad had in the back of the Polaris and forgot that he had in there um, and went through um, a cattle fence opening and uh, at full speed and bent it in half. So that's the only one we've been able to break so far. So uh, we try to pride ourselves in and and building a quality product that's not going to break that's going to last because uh, hunting's expensive and you go through everybody's hard on equipment and so are we so we just try to build something that's going to last and we we love it so it works out good yeah let me say can i say something about a frames for a second yeah yeah go ahead um you know this is the second year that um i've had the HTR A-frame. I'd never hunted out of one before last year, and, and I still haven't field hunted with it. I still am not completely convinced it's better than a traditional layout blind in a field. Everyone seems to say that it is. I just have never used it. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical of that, but I, I don't know. People say that it's wonderful. I will say this. It is our, our goal for a long time has been to be as versatile as humanly possible. 
And now having an A-frame, it's way more transportable than what I thought it would be. We strap it to sleds and pull it into places. I would absolutely, I can't imagine now not having one as part of my arsenal. I have not used my personal A-frame once this year. I've used, I've been in Jordans a couple of times and everything. But having it there and knowing that there are going to be situations that arise, like Jordan, that hunt we're on on, those, on the mud, um, on the Flyways Collective, there are – not even counting the ease of using it in a field because I'm not a field hunter, but there are hunts that are going to arise a couple of year, two or three, every other year that if you don't have an A-frame, you're not going to be able to hunt the area or you're not going to be able to hunt it effectively. So it's now that I've used it, I will never not have one in my arsenal of equipment. It, it's a phenomenal piece of equipment. Yeah. And I think you touched on a good point as far as um, we, we use sleds. We love sleds. We, we have multiple sleds and we pack out our stuff in sleds all the time. And so I think there, there's a lot of people when we go to shows and stuff, they get hung up on the fact that, well, I can't roll this up. That doesn't roll up like a, like a panel blind or, um, you know, roll together and, and hold it on with a backpack. And, and we're kind of playing around with different ideas, but when you start breaking it down, um, that much, there gets to be a lot of moving pieces which then we hear all the time of, oh, this is, I'm on my third or fourth A-frame because it's cheap and it broke and stuff. So th there is a there is a, a balance there of strength versus packing it out. And so for any guy that is worried about, well, it doesn't break down completely, I would say you need to have a sled in your arsenal because sleds are game changers in my opinion. I, yeah, we, we pack have, a lot out on it's, them. It's it's so light too. I mean, aluminum and fabric, and so you put it in the sled and you just haul it right out there, no mm -hmm. issue. So that's kind of the the real benefit there. Couple straps is all you need. Yep, sled and a couple straps. But yeah, um, no, I think that pretty much covers anything you else you want to add on about HTR. No, no, we're just anybody that doesn't know about us. Um, we have a uh, uh, check us out. We have an Instagram page. Um, our YouTube is HTR Waterfowl. We're doing. Uh, we try to do a few waterfowl hunts each year, um, and and check us out on our website um, for anything um, that we might have. Just HTRInnovations.com. So that's where you'll find us. And uh, a lot of times, um, us and Jordan overlap in, in a lot of videos, and we do a lot of basically just natural collabing with each other since we hunt a lot. So um, you can see a lot of our stuff on his videos as well. So, yep. Awesome. Well, I uh, really appreciate you coming on and talking about um, goose hunting and, um, you know, definitely awesome having a, a good friend on that, that we hunt with and uh, <laughs> hunt with and have some good times with. So um, appreciate you coming on. Any last words you got, Elliot? I would just say if you if people are not watching HTR videos, Hunter is quite the character on video. <laughs> he's being a lot more subdued tonight. <laughs> he he's a funny guy. If you're if you're not watching the HTR videos along with uh, Duck Gun Chronicles, make sure that you do because Hunter is quite the um, personality to watch hunt. I'd say he's a very entertaining. You know, it is. I've told we, me and Jordan have had conversations a lot about this. It's so much easier to be in the background of a video than to try to be the face of a video. You feel so much more in your natural state when you're just there, not worrying about being in front of a camera. And so it's like a, there's a balance that you try to do. You try to be yourself, but you want to have fun with it and and have a personality. So there's always like a, a challenge with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like someone has to be the the storyteller and kind of like lead the audience and the viewers through the hunt in a way that, you know, and if you can be the guy who is behind the guy with the camera just making the the smart the smart remarks and all that kind of stuff. And so Hunter and me get to take turns doing that for each other's video <laughs> <laughs> and making the editing a nightmare. So <laughs> uh, that's kind of how that goes with that. But, uh, you know, uh, another character we have overlapped that's a, a pretty funny guy, uh, Swamp Man. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like him. So he hunts with both. Uh, well, we're all we're pretty yeah. much one crew. So yeah. So regardless of what uh, anybody who has seen Swamp Man might think of his age, he's only nineteen. So um, 
He is a very big, um, fun to be around 19 year old. Yep. And he loves his goose flute. He loves his. So look out for the parody, uh, play that funky goose flute, white boy. Um, <laughs> Swamp Man. Swamp Man, yes. Uh, in 2020. So, yeah. So I think uh, this is probably a pretty good place to go ahead and uh, um, go ahead and sign off. So, any last words, Elliot? Nope, this is but... <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. That's about all of the pop, all of the things I know about geese, which is not much. <laughs> Racked his brain. Yeah. All right, folks, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Hunter from HDR, and we'll see you guys on the next one.